I know is, you mess with me, you got problems. That's all I know. You're gonna want to be comfortable today. With the 11th pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Houston Texans select J.J. Watt, defensive end, Wisconsin. Batted down and intercepted. Intercepted by J.J. Watt. Touchdown, Houston. J.J. Watt, the rookie from Wisconsin, who began his college career at Central Michigan. Left delivering pizza. He said, what am I doing with my life? Walked on in Wisconsin, became an All-American, an academic All-Big Ten, and scoring a touchdown. Jay Watt devours Tannehill. And Rodgers under pressure, and down he'll go. And that's J.J. Watt. Here comes Watt. J.J. Watt, who cares if you lose your head? Back to play action, Luck trying to circle, thrown down by Watt. Standing at the goal line and sacked. And it's J.J. Watt. It's time, knocked away and recovered by Watt. 2014 AP Defensive Player of the Year is JJ Watt. JJ Watt. Jackson's coming to the place. Manuel intercepted by Watt. And the big fellow lumbering inside the 40. No one is going to catch Watt into the end zone for the pick six. Incredible. Seven. Because I want you guys to hear it directly from me. I want to speak directly to you in the city of Houston. I have sat down with the McNair family and I have asked them for my release. And we have mutually agreed to part ways at this time. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast talking your Houston Texans. Straight from the Great British Isles in a week with the club president resigns. Another character coach is hired and the departure of the greatest player in franchise history who's released from his contract all in another week in the life of the Houston Texans in 2021 where they seem to not be able to hit the self-destruct button and keep taking a step back with every decision, uh, every turn. I think if you take the Jamie Roots point of view, first and foremost of a guy who's been with the team since day one, a guy who called himself basically a son to the founder, Bob McNair, Cal's father. And if you ever wanted to see the power rankings or the the strength of grip on the decision-making of this franchise, this is just yet another example, if not the clearest example there has been of Jack Easterby's vice-like grip over Cal McNair. This comes down to effectively a process that was run in the off-season to hire a GM and head coach through Corn Ferry. Cal McNair worked with, you know, said openly that Jamie Roots would play a huge role in that and it would not be Jack Easterby. That was proven not to be right. Just one of many that many public outings that he's spoken and quite the opposite has happened but there was definitely a relationship there and from with himself and Omar Khan and that was the guy he wanted the, obviously he used to be hijacks the hire brings in Casario paste and copy of our problems and we're no further forward 
this off season. The fallout from that was effectively Jamie Root's warning out. He's now decided now to release that information and for whatever reason deemed this to be the right time. You know, a guy who built this franchise from effectively nothing in terms of the operations on the on the on the business side. And, you know, he'll be missed, I think. He was, a, you know, from... I had some personal dealings with him and a great guy, and by all accounts, very courteous and and uh, and engaged in people, I think. And he's basically... You know, and it was it was said and it was outlined by, by John McLean on Radio 610 that Easterby's meddling was another one that he basically... You know, you could only... You could put two and two together, but Easterby's meddling was enough for him. If he wasn't here, he'd still be here. McLean said that explicitly and you got to think that there's been a point where you know and there's been a lot of discussion about people going to council and look what is going on here why are things going so badly why are you letting this guy make these decisions and you got to think Roots has probably done that at some point because he would have like all of us be able to see blatantly where this is going and this nosedive that this team continues to take and, and you've got to think he's gone to, to, to Cal as well and said, I don't like the direction this team's going. I don't like how the process went in the general manager and the head coaching hire in the off-season. I need to leave. And I can guarantee you, he will have interjected at some point in the off-season to try and steer it in the right direction. And he would have been ignored, and I think that's probably the, the only way you can lose somebody at that level is just by letting them feel like they've got no input. And, you know, it's a similar theme, isn't it, I think, with, with our quarterback as well felt there was a more than a you know a justification for them to have input and they weren't given it they were ignored and a different direction was taken so in a week where Dylan Thompson was hired from Detroit character coach there comes as director of player development now of course and it was incredibly obvious a long time mentor mentoree relationship with Jack Easterby he comes in and two things about that one is how on earth does anybody expect anyone in the building to trust him when that's been the biggest issue a toxic culture we bring him in to try and correct that you think well if he's got a track record of of correcting just that very thing then yeah you can understand it but then you look where he's come from and it's quite the opposite from Detroit, where you saw when the Darius Slade trade was made, when he went to Philadelphia, he wanted out of Detroit, arguably one of their best players on that roster, and he talked about the interactions and the discussions with Matt Patricia and the and the way in which he tried to run that football programme, alienated players they didn't want to play for him, and the results on the field spoke for themselves. So you're bringing a guy over from a culture on a football programme, you don't have that, that blanket of New England success and as we have all seen, Tom Brady's success rather than New England. But there's there's no way in which he can sell that move other than Easterby's game power. So within two days last week, we saw the Texans just make further nods and, for, and give us all further clarity that this terrible journey that we're on to hit rock bottom, which I still don't think we've hit that yet, Easterby's very much in the driving seat and making all these calls. And I don't know what it's going to take to to make anybody realise, but when Jamie Roots, uh, you know, probably, you know, was close to his cow as a brother has been reported, he is now lost effectively to Easterby. 
O'Brien, a guy who was given all the power more than he ever should have done by Cal, he was ousted by Easterby. Brian Gain, and how many people were we going to continue to add to this list? Because the issue is, is it is Nick Casario going to be added to that list at some point? Because I think when you, if you look at the pattern of Easterby's behaviour, he chokes everything off in the background and lets somebody fail. And I and I would argue. And let's, let's them fail in the public eye. You'd argue that Casario so far has not done a great job here. I think the head coaching hires, you know, we've hardly talked about it on this show, but it doesn't deserve being talked about because it is, it is in, in itself a, a patch-up job. And it, as I said, it's got something very temporary about it. And only way the Houston Tates could justify somebody they brought in to correct their mess rather than bringing in somebody who's here to be the best coach and get the best out of his players. That's the role for the team, not what they've described David Cully has, but you add that sort of head coaching higher in, all the moves made directly related to Easterby. And you've got to, you just got to think Casario is being undermined. And I think the only way you were ever going to sell this or look for positives or look for a way forward in this offseason and how they've pieced this new regime together, which certainly doesn't look like it's going to deliver any success. So therefore, you'd suggest it probably won't. And unless something radically changes, it looks like it's going to be a two to three, you know, two to three year rebuild. Everybody keeps talking about that, but I think it's more than the possibility that we just sit and dwell in it in in the dormant hour, the outer Hebrides of mediocrity. And it feels like that's just the the future written for us already. It seemed like the future in terms of the moves and losing all these players, it was gonna finally leak its way onto the field and we wouldn't be a very good football team. And I think when the when the when the front office structure crumbles, or it certainly looks you know, shaky at best in terms of foundations, in terms of the type of people you've got and the decisions they make, they all add up. And I think we continue to go backwards off the field. And I just don't think that allows us to flourish on it. But Casario, his role has to be questioned. How much power does he have? How much autonomy does he have? This was going to be the hardest job he probably could have ever have taken. There probably isn't a harder job in the league to try and correct this, considering the Watson angle, considering the talent, and considering the disconnect between fans, etc. There's there's so many things wrong with this Houston Texans organization, and he his his task is to fix it. But I don't really think he's I think he's capable. Whether he'll be given the autonomy to do that, and how much history medals in the background and actually detracts from what Casario is trying to do because that's the circus and they think it's an easy step forward as if he was to leave but it's very clear from the Dylan Thompson hiring from Jamie Roots leaving that you know Casario has less if not if not at very best equal power to Easterby but I put out an article on podcasttexans.com this week and it talks you know and they're often saying do the right thing Dylan Thompson said that, you know, it's, it's the Cal said that, he's obviously picked them up from Easterby. And Casario said that around about way in his last press conference, but we've only got one Friday and we'll deal with it and just take it one step at a time. And I get that mentality and I, I do understand that. There's definitely a, a lack of plan here, a lack of guile. And I think no more shown by the JG Watt release. And it was obvious from a year ago when he didn't renew his contract, he was going into a final year with. 17.5 million cap hit, all of it on non-guarantees. There's something was going to have to give. And I think the fact that they didn't re-sign him or extend him or restructure him last off-season to keep him in Houston 
meant that this was already kind of written. And you saw his frustration last year in the media conferences. And look, he knows, and he said, that I don't want to be involved in a rebuild. And as I said, I question even their ability to rebuild. But these guys see, these guys have seen, you know, if you, and if you go back and watch some of the highlights in a phenomenal career, right up there with Reggie White and Lawrence Taylor in terms of the best defensive player of all time, and Aaron Donald's obviously in that conversation as well. But if you, but the 2014, 2015 and 2013 seasons were was some of the most dominant football anyone's ever played. And it was like watching a quarterback on the field on defense, looking for where he was, looking at the formation, where was he lined up because you knew he was going to do something. And you've got to wonder if the injuries hadn't piled up, how great could he have been? Or did he just do so much to his body to get it in a place to perform at that level that something had to give? And he he got every ounce out of his God-given talents that he could. But I... and. And he's a great story, JJ, and I've been critical of the guy, but I think when you see some of all the look, there is a lot of a lot of sort of brand created, fabricated, very PR savvy kind of guy who, who puts himself across in a specific way and he was like the ultimate footballer, the ultimate marketer's dream in terms of the the traditional thought and, and archetype of what you'd want a defensive end, what you'd want your the leader of your franchise to be. There's been so many great moments um, from him, but I think what he, he did a lot away from the field, which I think probably goes unnoticed, and he he did a lot of things where he, he didn't want the, the limelight to be on that, and um, there's been a lot of stories come out about JJ and the kind of guy he was, and I think sometimes, yeah, did he come across corny and and a bit fake in, in, in the media as he was trying to grow the brand when the brand hit a certain level. But I think if you go back to to some of the stuff when he first got here and when the stuff he continued to do away from the limelight, I think you can't probably question his in, intentions of a guy, but just a hell of a football player. Interested to see where he ends up. Think if Green Bay's an option, he'll definitely land there. But it's going to be hard to see him in a another uniform, just like it was Hopkins, just like it was Clowney, just like it was DJ Reader, Kareem Jackson, all these great players that have come and left this building, and potentially Watson adds to the list this off season the way it's trending. But it's certainly a sad day to lose a player like that, a, you know, an, an unbelievable talent who just wrecked games wrecked offensive game plans, wrecked offensive linemen's careers and just statistically racked up some of the best years and should have won MVP in 2014 if it hadn't been you know, a bona fide quarterback award. But what a season he had that year with the touchdowns and and all the and all the plays that he put together and he could do so much on the field, you know, he came as eligible receiver as a tight end, caught caught scores. It's some of his biggest plays. I now remember the first time I ever saw him live in Dallas. And there was a tackle for loss. And the way he got up and the way he celebrated, it was just, it was, it was, it was impossible to miss him on the field. And I think he probably lost some of that through injury as well. And, and I think some of the, just the, the, the downward pressure on his mentality and the, and the, and the current situation that we just talked about in, in Houston probably took some of the joy away from, from his, from his game and he definitely wasn't 
certainly last season as as effective as he's been, but he wasn't playing with anybody. And I think when you go back and watch all those highlights and and you know, I think that obviously the Cincinnati one where he announced himself to the world was having, you know, great ball skills, former tight end when he was on at Michigan and he walked on at Wisconsin. The Buffalo one stands out where he where he picked off E. J. Manuel takes all the way to the house, seventy nine yards. There was the one against the Colts when they tried to mount a comeback if it hadn't been for the Andrew Johnson fumble then you know they might have won that game as well on the final drive and and you know there was so so many so many great plays so many sacks so many game changing sacks so many ones on third down you know if you look when they, that game in Denver when they finally beat Denver in 2012 when they should have really been a contender in 2011 as well if, if Mario Williams as he stays healthy you know would have had an even better season in his rookie year there's a lot of ifs and buts, I think, but certainly the things that stand out when you go and watch all those plays is that there's a huge difference in crowd noise and the way in which people have become disenfranchised with this football team in Houston. And I've noticed that in person, but when you go back and watch some of the old highlights, how loud the the crowd is on defence, it's just, just not been like that for a good number of years now. The players that he played against, with whether it had been okay, a couple of games of Mario Williams before he was injured, but you know, Connor Barwin, Brooks Reed, Antonio Smith, Whitney Marcellus at his prime, Jadavian Clowney, you've know, got solid guys like Errol Mitchell, DJ Reader in the middle. Just a long, long list of great players that he played with and you know, there was some stats out there about how how much he was double and triple teamed last year, and I think, you know, ultimately you could be one of the greatest players on any side of the ball and we saw that with Watson you could just be negated by the fact you've not got enough around you and I think he's that was probably one of the biggest reasons why he was gone and you think is there an alternative situation that could have could have been created where he's still here and he finished his career and he isn't going to finalise his career in, in the final years and go and chase a ring somewhere else and there is but I think the problem is with Houston that it, it that situation came about where he wanted to leave because there was a, three, a two to three year period of so many bad decisions when there should have just been one clean cut regime change, new GM, new head coach, and it probably would have put us on a very different path. And it's, it, it's tough for many people to see what goal. He's probably the reason why there's you know, a whole generation of fans and hard knocks and all this kind of stuff being the you know the face of the league for a number of years they're probably the reason why they ever support this team might be the reason why they listen to this podcast might be the reason why they ever got into you know the National Football League and he's done so much for Houston obviously you can't say enough about his off field accolades in terms of in terms of what he did for the city of, after Hurricane Harvey and that was a really hard time and you you saw the, the after effects of that for a long time still, some people still are feeling that when he came out on that field in 2017 with the flag, that was a big moment, I think. A lot of people there you know, really felt that as a, as a poignant moment. And then to get injured a couple of weeks later against Kansas City was, a, was probably the beginning of the end. The 2018 season where he showed where he got 16 sacks. He looked like getting back to his best, but then 2019 gets to... The torn peck when again he was playing really well at the start of the season but didn't quite look, look look the same player but again losing losing talent around them it's too hard to judge and look 
if he isn't asked to play as many snaps, and that's his biggest flaw, was he played too many snaps, not used situationally. He can continue to play in this league for another three or four years and be a really effective player if he's used situationally. Second and long, third down, obvious pass rushing ability. And he continued to use that. And I think over the year, years, he, he really developed his, his pass rush moves. He continued to, to reinvent himself and, and, and get better when he, and he lost that first step a bit. And he, he, and he was always a technician at the point of attack. And he was just so consistent. And, you know, I think there'll never be one like him. And I think people have been spoiled by having a player like that because I think you just thought you could put it on his shoulders and he could do everything and he and he, and he could do a lot but the injuries piled up and, 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 he, and here he is now no longer with us and it sort of begs the question when did you or when should we have moved on and should it have been possibly after the 2018 season now that would have been a shock at the time but you could have got a significant number of draft picks back he still would have had a three, three years on his contract then at that point probably tradable versus the the market rate if you take sort of the contract that Flowers got in, in Detroit, you know, well into the twenties million. If you look at the, the numbers that Bosa's Bosa picked up on his contract from the Chargers, obviously they're setting a new market rate. Um, but certainly that contract was tradable at that point and you could have got some goodwill. There was obviously injury history there. He'd missed games in the previous two seasons. So after coming off his first fully healthy season, that would have been an opportunity to move on then. I think you were always going to if the team knew, and which we all did, that Watson was a, a guy who was who was going to have to get paid and you'd have to reinvent the way in which you pay your salary your salary cap and they used that excuse for Hopkins and like you and again a trade should never have been made, but the premise of it was 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 fair. I think when you you sometimes you have to give up players you don't want to give up, but you're you're building towards the future and you're getting more more cost-controlled talent through the draft picks. If you've got a number of high draft picks for Hopkins, I don't think anybody would have ever ever queried that too much. And the same with what? If you'd have got a number of picks from him to rebuild your defence, add something on offence, you could add an extra offensive alignment rather than going out, you know, going out in a crazy trade for Larry Tun. So that could have been a good point then to do it. And say, well, actually, we've got Merciless and we've got, you know, it's pre-decline, but you've got Merciless, you've got Clowney, extend Clowney, um, on a deal and, and, and what move on but I think all the stuff they did off the field and the personality was and how many jerseys he sold never made that possible and you think well why did they not maybe trade him at the deadline this year then um, and you look at that contract you're never going to get you know more than maybe a, a third at very late third at best fourth round pick and I suppose you probably can't trade a guy like that that means so much emotionally and psychologically to the franchise in the context of the terrible pennies on the dollar, the Andrew Hopkins trade. So again, you go back to a number of decisions made and what was, you know, and it was it best for the football team to keep him on, pay that extra eight million of his salary after the trade deadline and not get anything back from it. And I think that the previous mistakes made it a point that they wanted the, the positive PR and, and to get treat JJ the right way. And I do get that. But if you're going to move on from, you still got to build a, a roster for the next season tomorrow and you could you could have got something back from now I, you, they've done him a solid by letting him go and pick his team but really if if, if they weren't going to extend him and it goes back to the running of this team if they, and that Bill O'Brien and Jack used to be had no clue no plan and they, they continue to 
look like they've got no plan. But if you weren't going to extend or restructure his contract, then you should have you should have got something in return from to have one of the top three or four greatest players of all time just walk away, not because of injury, not because they're retiring, but just because you released them because one, you didn't plan ahead and two, you created a situation which wasn't wasn't conducive to winning football games that the player can see that and he's got limited years left to go and, to go and get a ring and I think better run teams could have found a destination that he wanted to go and got at least something or even a player and traded him at the deadline back. But yet, JJ Watt walks out with nothing and if you think of what leaving, Clowney leaving, Hopkins leaving, if you'd have told, you know, all Pro Bowl players in 2018, if you could have told me then that they would have all have left and we would have got back a second, a third round pick and David Johnson, who I expect the Texas to cut, to save six, another six million on the cap, they're four million below it now with the cut. JG or the expected cap. This defense is was only was 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 the worst defense the league with what? What are they going to be without it? So how on earth they fill this roster out to make them a serviceable unit? Time will tell, but certainly a lot of soul searching and a lot of value free agents. And ultimately, some draft picks and development of second year and third year, fourth year guys are going to have to come together in a way that's not going to make this defense possibly one of the worst ever to see a pro football field. But in a week where we see Easterby's power grow, or certainly the clearest indications of how strong his power is, we bring a more more like minded people of Easterby into the building. And we say goodbye to the greatest player that's ever worn him and probably will remain, considering the Watson situation, for the rest of this franchise history. They'll probably welcome him back into their ring of honour, but a month after or so that your your first inductee to your ring of honour, Andrew Johnson, speaks out against you and he clarifies some of those comments in, a, in an interview and he talked about he's concerned about the, the direction it's going and he said, I could... He could bring out some examples and he chose not to. But ultimately, you know, what he said was he wanted players to benefit from his experience. And we've now got the, the full stop on J.G. Watt's Texans career, underachievement, just as Andrew Johnson was. And his point to, to Sean is, don't let that be you as well. And stand up when you think things are going wrong. And, and that's what he's encouraged him to do. And you can't disagree. Um, but hopefully we'll come back prior to the free agency period and the start of the new league year. If there's no news before, then we probably won't have another podcast, but we'll definitely have a preview of potential free agents once we know the, the, the tags and the and the players have been re-signed in-house. We'll, we'll review that and how some of the guys the Texans could go after to try and plug some of the many gaping holes on this roster. Hopefully we'll have some more clarity on the Watson situation but that one feels like it's got a lot of length to run but thanks very much again for listening you can check us out at podcasttexans.com at podcasttexans on Twitter and on Facebook Facebook